0: Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Now, regular listeners of the program know that uh, over the Last few weeks, we've uh, been doing these Ministry Watch Extra episodes with ministry partners. And we're going to um, have one of our ministry partners, Michael Renault, on in just a moment. But uh, I want to remind everybody that we are continuing our Friday weekly roundups, the episodes that I host with Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are our chance to go deep, you might say with um, folks that are also covering the news. And I'm pleased to have back on the program Michael Renault. Michael is um, the editor of World Magazine. He came to World after a successful tenure as an award-winning editor of the Greenville Sun, a daily newspaper that serves uh, East Tennessee. And, Michael, it's been a while since um, we've had you on the program, so welcome back. Thanks for having me, Warren. Good to be with you again. Yeah, in fact, it was back in October, which has been nearly two months ago, before the election. Uh, So I want to talk with you a little bit about the election uh, and how World covered it. It's tempting to say that the election is in our rearview mirror, but with all the legal challenges that the Trump administration has uh, mounted, uh, it's really kind of hard to say that it's in our rearview mirror, especially since now we have a runoff election coming up in Georgia. But I, I wanted to ask you in particular how you guys at World uh, kind of struck the right tone and posture covering this election, especially knowing that that a lot of your readers were probably pretty strong Trump supporters.
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, Warren, we've had some of our columnists—not uh, just our columnists, some of the leadership at World, Marvin Alasky, Joel Bell's, and some others too—write about how this election was um, <laughs> kind of a stinker of an election. I mean, I-, I think most people would probably agree that neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump were ideal candidates in in many respects, in many regards, right? Um, I mean, again, Marvin's written about this. Joel Bells, world's founder, wrote a column before the election, um, really being very honest about the shortcomings of both those candidates. And so, I, you know, even inside world, there's disagreement in, in terms of um, gradations or degrees about what you think about such and such or what you think about so and so. Um, and that kind of helped us stay honest in terms of being committed to covering the election in a in a straightforward way. We wanted to cover things in much the same way as we want to cover any kind of politician. I mean, every politician is going to do things um, at some times that are, are probably fine and probably okay and in, in line with biblical worldview, and a lot of times just about every politician is going to do things that aren't in line with what the Scriptures have to say on on given issues or the implications of Scripture on certain issues. And our job is just to, to call a spade a spade, to try to call it like we see it, and um, criticize the things that need criticism and praise the things that need praise. And and that was kind of the posture we took with this. Uh, I'll say following the election, which has been wild and woolly and a lot of time talking through some of these issues. Uh, we at World weren't as quick to use the, the the term or the title president-elect as some other news outlets were, like the Associated Press or the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal or New York Times even, in part because we wanted to wait out some of the challenges that the Trump campaign and Republicans across the country were mounting. We wanted to see, particularly in the courts, it, it's one thing to get up in front of a microphone and a lectern and say things that way or say things on Twitter – but we wanted to give some of the legal arguments time to make their way through the court systems and see if if the courts were coming down in a certain way. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we made the decision to go ahead and start using the term president elect when we refer to Joe Biden, just because as you look at what's happening in the court system, as you look at the substance of some of the arguments that are out there about voter fraud, not to say that there is no voter fraud, not to say that there are no problems with the election whatsoever, but the hill just became increasingly difficult to climb for Donald Trump and his campaign to overturn. Um, I think what's pretty clear now is that Joseph Biden, you know, got way more than the 270 electoral college votes needed um, to secure the presidency. So again, our posture has been trying to Play it straight, uh, call things like we see it, knowing we're going to make some people on this side mad, we're going to make some people on that side mad, but we're just trying to tell the truth as best we can. And, and again, watch things post-election, watch things go through the court system to see what's um, what's what the situation really looks like from that perspective.
0: You know, Michael, I think one of the things that was the hardest for me here at Ministry Watch um, was to not cover the election because uh, we had a lot of our uh, readers, you know, ask us you know why we weren't covering it more? Why we weren't doing more election coverage? We did do a few election stories, especially as they related to Christian ministries, and we had a lot of evangelical leaders um, take an active role. So there were, you know, there were some legitimate stories for a news organization like like Ministry Watch to um, to write about, but you know it, it it seemed to me and i'm just wondering what your thoughts are about this that that this election kind of sucked all the air out of the room that um that there was very little attention span left over to write about things that weren't related to politics even though there were just a ton of really important things going on in the world and i'm wondering if you guys kind of uh, faced that challenge as well, knowing that there were important things to write about. I mean, you've got you know reporters all over the world, and um, and you know paying them real money to produce great journalism, and just discovering nobody was interested.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Warren, I don't know that I would say that the kind of feedback we got was that nobody was interested in in some of those stories. But to your point. I mean, everything was election, election-centric for several weeks, and I mean, that's starting to abate some now. I think one of the reasons for that is the fact that COVID-19 has taken off with such a fury again in the U.S. I mean, hospitalizations are up, and deaths per day are up now higher than they ever were in the spring and the summer. So so that's part of it. Um, one of the interesting things about that too, Warren, is the fact that there is so much attention put on the particularly the presidential race and the senate race which you know january the runoff in georgia is going to tell us a lot about what the next 4 years are going to be like for a for a yeah a biden administration there were some monumental things that happened in the house of representatives that that we've tried to do some coverage on not just the fact that the republicans um, flipped several. I think this count is up to eleven or twelve now. Democratic seats that they flipped, um, but also you've got a lot of GOP women who who took some positions. There's there's more diversity in general in the House, but particularly among women in the GOP, pro-life women in the GOP. We did some coverage of down ballot races that are actually pretty interesting to look at with regard to criminal justice issues and economic issues and California being had several ballot initiatives this year that went every which way on different issues. And so to your point, Warren, yeah, a lot of attention got Um, put on a presidential race and the Senate races, which, you know, it's understandable, but there's, there's a lot more going on out there. And and yeah, we've got folks positioned around the world, trying to, trying to pick up on what some of these other storylines were that again, are not getting a lot of attention, but are still very important.
0: Well, I want to um shine a bright light on one of those stories at least because we've already mentioned COVID at least once or twice and uh and you we've also both mentioned international coverage stuff going on around the world. You had a really interesting story in World uh by Jenny Lind Schmidt. Her story uh was called Lockdown Light in Europe. It's about how um uh, European countries are dealing with the COVID crisis. Can you say more about that story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we were all kind of getting worked up about the election in the weeks leading up to the election, I mean, COVID-19 was slowly kind of um, coming back to the forefront in the States. But across the Atlantic, Europe was dealing with, um, as often ha- happens, and has certainly happened during this pandemic, Europe was already seeing a lot of spikes in COVID cases, hospitalizations, and, and critical cases. And Europe was in the midst of trying to deal with this, Um, but Jenny Lynn Schmidt, who's uh, based in Switzerland, and actually she and her family travel across the border into France to go to church every week, so Jenny is positioned right there in in Europe – She was doing some reporting on how different parts of Europe, different countries in Europe were handling lockdowns differently, handling responses differently to the big upswings in COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, deaths, etc. One of the big things that comes out of this is we are, you know, what, eight, nine months removed from when a lot of the world first encountered the coronavirus and COVID-19. We know a lot more about it. We know a lot more about how to keep people um, fighting the virus and fighting COVID-19 when they contract it. And that's going to be reflected in, in the policies that go into place uh, to try to protect vulnerable populations, protect vulnerable people. And that's playing out in Europe. So Jenny chronicled kind of what's happening in different countries, everything from how different countries are handling different church uh, restrictions. France, for example, has been very restrictive in, in um in locking down church services. And they they allowed church services to meet for All Saints Day at the end of October, but after that pretty much locked down. Other uh, other parts of Europe, such as in the United Kingdom or uh, Germany, Italy, other places have not been strict on churches. But Jenny also looked at small business owners. She talked to a couple who run a restaurant in Spain about what they're doing and what uh, what the government in Spain is doing to try to help businesses and Also, how businesses are trying to band together. They don't have a nonprofit sector um, that's quite as strong and fertile, I guess, as what we have in the United States, for example. So business owners now in Spain are trying to band together and form kind of this – you know, to put it in Berkey in terms, like little platoons, I guess, to try to help other people in ways that just don't depend on the government. And so anyways, it, it's the kind of reporting that Jenny's done a really good job putting together and talking to a lot of different people, a lot of different sources across Europe that um, she was able to do because, again, she's, she's there. She's in the thick of it. She's developed sources. But it's the kind of story that you alluded to earlier that maybe didn't get a whole lot of attention because of what was happening in the U.S., but it's still important. Also still things that we can learn from how Europe is reacting To COVID-19 that, you know, we ought to to keep in mind, too. Again, this isn't February or March. We know a lot more about COVID-19. We know a lot more about um, how to deal with some of the worst parts of it. And that's reflected in at least what's happened in Europe and even right now what's happening in the U.S.,
0: Yeah, I thought that story was really fascinating. Uh, You you mentioned one reason that it was fascinating because we can learn from what is happening in Europe. But I think another reason that for me it was fascinating was that aspect that you also alluded to, which is that in Europe, they don't really have the well-developed nonprofit sector, what in Europe they might call the NGO, non-government organizations, and um, that we do have here in the United States. And I think that's one of the great virtues and um, strengths of the United States. You mentioned that... uh, you know Edwin, Edmund Burke uh, talked about little platoons Alexis de Tocqueville uh, also um, mentioned this as a feature of American democracy and of course that's what we here at Ministry watch are all about is sort of um, extolling um, that um, Christian ministry sector so I, that I agree with you that was another fascinating aspect of that story and you you also saw that that aspect of sort of American life and one of the strengths of American life show up in another story by Emily Bells called Pandemic Behind Bars. Talk a little bit about that story as well.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think in previous um, conversations with you, Warren, I may have mentioned this, but one of the things that is kind of a distinctive for world is our coverage of, again, you know, hearkening back to what our editor in chief, Marvin Alasky, has talked about, is coverage of the uns. So kind of the, um, uneducated or unseen, uh, the, I guess, disregarded, or to put it in this kind of parlance unregarded, I guess. But one of the populations that, again, has not gotten a ton of attention in recent months has been um, prisoners within jails, prisons all across the country. One of our specific callings as Christians is to care for groups like this, which is why Great organizations like Prison Fellowship exist, and how many, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands, of local prison and jail ministries across the U.S. exist. It's to minister to people behind bars, people who, you know, maybe more than the rest of us understand the importance and power of forgiveness and grace and mercy. Um, Those groups have been struggling with COVID 19 this year, too. And so Emily began reaching out to some. Uh, inmates she had spoken to for previous reporting she had done and some other folks she had not spoken to previously about what life is like behind bars right now. Because in, in so many prisons, I mean, inmates are are, are rehabilitated or are able to rehabilitate, I guess, um, in part because they're able to put their time and their energy into attaining degrees or doing work um, within the, the, the prison walls or sometimes outside of prison walls, uh, they're able to kind of, you know, redeem the time, I guess you could say, by all these programs that exist for them. Um, and it's, you know, I think there's a really strong argument to be made that's a much better use of taxpayer dollars too than just throwing somebody in a in a cell and letting them sit for 23 hours a day. Um, but all those programs fell victim to lockdowns and restrictions and quarantines and the like during COVID-19. So Emily um, began... Corresponding with some of these folks, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, she she really had to go to great lengths, and these are long term endeavors for her to to reach out to either send an email or send send a letter, you know, via mail. All that stuff is screened by prison officials with good reason. Um, but to try to conduct interviews, I mean, you and I are sitting on the phone talking about this, and there's there's back and forth that happens in the matter of seconds. Emily had to wait weeks in some instances to get responses to some questions, and follow up questions were difficult. So, anyways she went through all that legwork. She went through all that reporting work to really try to capture what it's like for folks behind bars right now during COVID-19. And they're struggling uh, differently than the rest of us, but their their struggles are there just as the rest of us are struggling through COVID-19. And it's a really intriguing read, but I also think it's just important. It's one more thing that we can pray about. It's one more thing we can be aware of. Again, as we're looking to serve through our churches, as we're looking to serve through the local ministries and organizations in our backyard and in our communities, it's just one more thing to be aware of that, uh, you know, COVID-19 is kind of upended in the year 2020.
0: Well, it certainly is a great story by Emily and the earlier story, Lockdown Light in Europe, another great story. So Michael, we need to take a break. Um, but when we come back, I want to continue to talk about some of world's coverage and um, and just kind of how uh, you guys go about things. And, um, and I especially want to talk about Uh, John Perkins, uh, who is uh, your Daniel of the Year. you just say a little bit about that as well? My name is Warren Smith. You're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. My guest this week is Michael Rideau with World Magazine. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the
1: Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's save the Storks.com.
0: Welcome back to the Ministry Watch Podcast. I'm with you again this week with my friend Michael Renault, who is the editor of World Magazine. You know, Michael, um, one of the other features of World Magazine that I guess you could say has become a tradition has been World's Daniel of the Year Award, which you guys bestow on the recipient right around this time, right around the end of the year. My understanding is that... Uh, uh, it's in some ways kind of a friendly competition with Time Magazine's Man of the Year. You guys have a Dan of the Year. Is is that Is that an accurate description of the derivation of that uh, Daniel of the Year award?
1: Yeah, it, it sure is. I mean, for decades, uh, Time has, has awarded its Man of the Year, and now it's Person of the Year. And just by virtue of the fact that so much um, of the mainstream media departs from biblical values and a biblical worldview in nineteen ninety eight world began uh, as you said bestowing uh, upon a particular honoree every year it's Daniel of the Year award as you might imagine it's it comes from um, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament um, one of the early descriptions of the award itself um, reads like this, Since 1998, World has selected a Daniel of the Year, one Christian from the millions around the world who have put their faith in God and gained the strength to stand up against ungodly trends. And and that's really, I mean, that encapsulates it really well. Um, The Daniel of the Year Award is meant to honor and kind of shine a spotlight on folks who have stood up uh, against the grain, um, against the currents in the popular culture to adhere to biblical values, and that comes with a cost oftentimes. That comes with sometimes risking your your physical safety. Uh, sometimes it means risking your livelihood, your reputation in the wider culture. Um, and sometimes, you know, that it's quiet work that just doesn't get any recognition, which there have been years that the Daniel of the Year have been people that very few very few folks have heard of. This year, though, was different with John Perkins, um, civil rights leader, a uh, strong Christian with such a powerful testimony, someone who younger readers and younger members of your audience may not be as familiar with, but those who lived through the civil rights era in the 1970s uh, going into the 1980s, 80s, probably are familiar with John Perkins and are, um, you know, maybe familiar with his story, but especially in this year that we've had, we've already talked about the pandemic, we've talked about politics, but another theme for 2020 in the United States has been um, tension, right? Racial tension, social tension, um, and a lot of it goes back to our Troubled and sorted history with how we've treated certain groups of people in this country over the long haul. John Perkins has devoted his life to trying to reconcile people, not just with each other, but also reconcile people to the God who created them and the God who saved them um, through his preaching and his writing and his his philanthropic work too. So for all those reasons, John Perkins, um, who was born in 1930, was was our Daniel of the year for 2020.
0: Yeah. You know, I've known uh, about John Perkins for most of my adult life. I first uh, learned about him when I was in college in the 1970s. I had the privilege of interviewing him a year or two ago, whenever he wrote a book, co-wrote a book with Rick Warren about racial reconciliation. And, um, it, you know, he really has had a remarkable career. One of the things that I admire about John Perkins is that uh, it's just that longevity, that uh, the fact that from the at at least the sixties, maybe even the late fifties, until today he has had an active public ministry and has kept himself free from scandal kept himself free from um not free from controversy, because he's not been afraid to dive into some controversial issues, but he's always done so with integrity. So I just really want to commend uh, you guys at World for picking him as your Daniel of the Year. I guess if uh, if I could offer any criticism— of his selection as Daniel of the year, it might just be what took you so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a I mean that that
1: that's a valid point. And you know, one of the things that stands out about him, like you said, Warren, is that um I mean you've done reporting on this, I've done reporting on this, world's done reporting on this, is that he is free of some of the scandals that so often plague not just leaders in general, but even sadly Christian leaders too. But um, Marvin Alaski, for that particular issue of a magazine, wrote the profile of John Perkins. And the way their profile ends is is with a quote from John Perkins. And the quote from him is, if we're going to help others understand who Jesus is, our own lives must reflect his character and love. Um, John Perkins' life has certainly reflected that. He was beaten by uh, white police officers at a young age. His brother, who had served in World War II, was shot and killed by a white sheriff's deputy. for He was standing in line to go see a movie. In Mississippi, and after he returned from World War II, uh, from serving his country in World War II, uh, he was shot and killed by a white sheriff's deputy. Um, And you know, John Perkins would he he admits in his writings and his interview with Marvin, um, you know, went through time where he was not in a in a place where he wanted to be reconciled. He was not in a place where he wanted to forgive. But once the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and changed his heart. That was what his professional life, his ministry, um, and his priorities became, We're doing what he, he said in that quote, reflecting uh, the character and love of Jesus. And so um, I, if there's ever a year we need to hear something like that, I need to familiarize ourselves with a story like that, it's, it's this year, 2020
0: yeah well, no question about it, so God bless you guys for um for bringing that story to light and God bless uh John Perkins for a long life of faithful service. You know another feature of uh, of world magazine is your books uh issue your book of the year. Uh, uh, issue is also recently out, and uh, Michael, we're not going to have time to go through all of the books. I di- will just mention that um, David French's "Divided We Fall: America's Succession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation" uh, was one of your books of the year. You have a number in a few different categories, and uh, I love this issue every year because it also uh, because it gives me sort of a reading list for myself and also. <laughs> a guest list for my listening in podcast as well so i'm i'm always glad to see uh the books of the year list but uh, but it also reminds me on an annual basis something that i think we as christians need to be reminded of and that is that we should be people of the book now of course first and foremost that book should be the bible but god in his sovereignty gave us a book as a way That he revealed himself to us. And I've come to believe in part because of that, that um, readers are leaders and leaders are readers. And I'm just really glad that World Magazine publishes that annual book list every year. So... Thank you for that, and anything you want to say about it? Yeah,
1: well, I, I mean, you hit on the, the the big thing, I think, for that particular issue every year, too. But before I joined World Staff full-time, the Books of the Year issue was one of my favorites of the year for that exact reason. It, it comes out toward the end of the year. It gives me a good list of um, reads to focus on over the next few months, gives me a good list of Christmas gifts, frankly, uh, and somewhat um, selfishly, I guess, um, to try to pick up for people, uh, friends and family and so forth. But it's just, um, a- a- as you said, you know, leaders are readers, readers are leaders, and, uh, we need to be investing, um, investing some time in trying to understand the world as God has made it, which is full of good things. It's full of bad things, but it, it is what it is. So, and we break this down just to, um, give a little bit more detail. We break this down into five categories. So the particular book that you mentioned from David French was the winner for the Understanding America category. Um, other categories are Accessible Theology, uh, Accessible Science understanding the world, some more international perspective, and accessible history. Um, and so in those five categories we've picked out books of the year we've picked out honorable mentions uh, so encourage um, encourage your listeners to come to world uh, wng.org and, and check out those lists and you know maybe go ahead and start working on your Christmas shopping list or just jot down some things that you want to be sure to read in the new year
0: yeah absolutely wng.org stands of course for world news group and you can find um, all of the all of those books listed out there you know Michael we need to start uh, bringing our conversation to a close but uh, wanted to ask you uh, for an update on the Hope Awards. Whenever you and I spoke last, You were kind of still in the middle of the Hope Award voting process, Uh, and uh, you know I love the Hope Awards. In fact, I will confess to you that here at Ministry Watch, we often will steal some of the stories that um, you guys first report about in your Hope Awards coverage, because here at Ministry Watch, we believe that it's important not only to kind of expose the bad guys, but also to give a platform for the good guys as well. Uh, I've been interested in Christian apologetics for many, many years, as I know you have too, Michael. You used to work at Summit Ministries and uh, have an an interest in that. And, you know, I think you'll agree with me that that 20 or 25 years ago, the apologetics world was kind of consumed with, is Christianity true? Um, You know, is there evidence for Christianity? But I think now in the 21st century, the conversation has turned a little bit. I think that those that are skeptical about Christianity don't even care if it's true. They are more concerned about, is it good? Is Christianity actually a force for good in our culture? And your HOPE Awards uh, really help people see that, in fact, yes, Christianity is a force for good in our culture.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's interesting you bring that up. um, For a Community group that my wife and I are in at our church are reading through the book of James. And if you need to be reconvicted of some of the things you're talking about, go take a deep dive into the book of James. And um, I mean, you see that if we are Christians, if we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, living within us, our works will reflect that. Uh, the fruit of our hands and our feet will reflect that. And that's really the whole idea behind the Hope Awards and world's dedication to covering what we call effective compassion, um, which is compassion that actually leads folks toward the right direction, leads folks toward the gospel, um, but also leads folks towards being um, you know, the humans that that God intended us to be in terms of uh, vocation, things like that. So as you said, the last time we talked, voting for our annual HOPE Award winner was underway. Um, And since then, the the votes have been counted, and there are no recounts, or no legal challenges. Um, The winner this year is El Shaddai Refugee Learning Center, um, based in Malaysia. Um, El Shaddai received the most votes out of nearly 9,000 votes cast, uh, in our contest this year. And as the winner, El Shaddai uh, has received $10,000 from World. Uh, other finalists were the Dream Center in Easley, South Carolina, uh, an organization called Gilgal in Atlanta, Georgia, Overflow Cafe in Maryland, and Refugee Hope Partners in Raleigh, North Carolina, not too far from you, Warren. And just for being finalists and being uh, profiled in World, each of those organizations will get $2,000 each. Um, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, just to give you a little bit of background, Warren, it opened 12 years ago with about 22 students, but it now has 1,400 at its main center and several sub centers uh, there in Malaysia. World senior reporter Angela Fulton visited El Shaddai earlier this year to to do the reporting on the ministry. Um, and one of the fascinating things, it's an openly Christian organization, and it works with mainly Muslim refugees in a Muslim-majority country. Um, Malaysia has strict laws against proselytizing and really clamps down on religious freedom. And so the fact that El Shaddai exists Uh, in that sort of a context is another sign of God's grace and another sign of the work that they're doing and the importance of that work, frankly. Students there come from 20 different countries, including um, Indonesia, Myanmar, Pakistan, Somalia, Cambodia, and India. Um, So, if any of your listeners were, were those who voted in our contest this year, a big thanks for, for your votes. And I know the folks at El Shaddai are grateful for um, hopefully a, a helpful uh, shot in the arm in terms of some extra revenue for this year. So thanks to your folks and thanks to world readers and listeners for voting.
0: Yeah, well, it was a great story and a great series of stories, and and um, so I'm really grateful to you, Michael, and to the staff at World for putting that together. You know, we've got to uh, bring our conversation to a close, but before we go, I want to take a minute or two to talk about a man um, that um, I know both you and I revere, and that's Joel Bells. You've already mentioned him once or twice. Uh, Michael during the podcast. Um, Joel is the founder of World Magazine, and he's had some health challenges lately. In fact, in the most recent issue of World, uh, you guys ran a best of column from Joel because he wasn't up to producing a new column for this issue. Uh, in all my years of being associated with World in one way or another, i Don't think that's ever happened before. I mean, Joel has always uh, met his deadline. I may be wrong about that, but uh, I know that it's an indication that he has had some severe health challenges. Can you uh, give us an update on how Joel's doing? Absolutely. Um, So Joel,
1: a few weeks ago, um, fell at his home and actually ended up breaking a femur. And Joel is 79, many of your listeners probably know he um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease a while back. And that ailment in and of itself is a tough hill to climb, and so when you add something like a broken bone, a, you know, a weight-bearing bone like that, it makes it all the more difficult. But Joel got treatment in the hospital, the bone's been reset. Um, and he's at home now, recovering. He is going through physical therapy, but for all the all those reasons, it, it is a challenge. So we do appreciate your prayer for Joel. Um, I would tell you, I joined World in August of 2019, and it was only a couple weeks after that that I actually met Joel in person at the offices in Asheville, and it was a uh, it was a special moment um, because so much of my professional career, but also so much of my my. Um, thinking and, you know, I would hope maturity has been shaped by world over the years. And that that goes back to Joel Bell's having a vision, having the guts to execute that vision, and then having the um, maturity, the insight and the competence to develop the organization to keep that vision going. And so Joel's a gift for all those reasons, not just to me, to a whole lot of folks. And so we certainly do appreciate your prayers for him as he continues to recover.
0: Well, and he's been exactly uh, that kind of an influence on me as well. In fact, uh, almost 30 years ago now, whenever I... Um, kind of was making a decision to leave my corporate uh, career and embark on this adventure in Christian journalism. Joel is one of the first people that I called. I drove up to Asheville and had lunch with Joel. And and ever since then, he's been a strong encouragement uh, to me. And of course, that uh, ultimately resulted in me spending about seven years uh, working directly for World Magazine and uh, continued, of course, to do the listening in podcast and have other Uh, associations with the world. So Joel has uh, been a huge impact uh, on my life. And for those of you that are supporters of Ministry Watch, just know that uh, Ministry Watch wouldn't be what it is without um, the influence of Joel Bells um, on me and on the work that we are doing here as well. So we will keep Joel in our prayers, and thanks, Michael, uh, for that update. You know, we've got to bring our time to a close, but I did just want to mention a couple of things before we go. Uh, Number one, uh, both World Magazine and Ministry Watch are donor-supported, and if you'd like to support either of our organizations financially, you can go to our respective websites. For us, it's ministrywatch.com, and for World, it's World News Group, WNG.org. I also wanted to mention to everyone that as we're recording this, as Michael and I are recording this, it's the day after Giving Tuesday, and I just want to thank everyone who uh, gave to um, Ministry Watch during the Giving Tuesday event. We nearly doubled the amount of money that we took in last year on Giving Tuesday. We took in about $9,200, and I just wanted to say we're very grateful uh, for that support. Really appreciate those of you that are listening to the podcast, that read our stuff every day, and also those of you who are supporting us financially as well. One final note, and that is that on December the 11th, uh, Ministry Watch is going to host a webinar, How to Read a Form 990. Watch your inbox for details. Some of you may know that we did this webinar a couple of months ago. It was sold out. We ran out of room. Uh, And even though it's sold out may not be exactly the right word because we offer it for free. But uh, we we hit our capacity limit on our on our go to webinar Zoom meeting, so uh, we're going to hold an encore presentation of it, December the 11th. If you missed it, then you can still catch it. So, Michael, with all of those housekeeping items, thanks so much for um, being on the program this week. Uh, Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Warren, and Merry Christmas, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate that as well. Merry Christmas to you, too. The producer for today's program is Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith. This week, along with my co-host, Michael Renault, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.